Happy holidays and welcome to Dead Feminist, the show where I watch horror films and think about them just a little bit too much. My name is Jade and today, to celebrate the festive season, I've got my little Santa hat, my elf costume, and we are looking at Krampus. Uh, it's a film from 2015, it's a lot of fun. Um, if you have not seen Krampus, this is your official spoiler warning. Um, Krampus follows the story of this kid who he's sick of his family growing apart over the Christmas uh, season and he accidentally summons the demonic Krampus when he rejects Santa and the spirit of Christmas. So let's get into it because speaking of the spirit of Christmas, the film opens with the just mwah, epitome of capitalist gingerbread flavored hell with crowds pushing and shoving and trampling over each other and over the workers. I've been in retail a while, like I work retail, and thankfully I've never experienced anything like this. This is insane, this is what it's like out there. I think the worst I've had is being screamed at for not having things in stores. The year Hatchimals came out was rough. But this Christmas fight culminates at the nativity with a reindeer throwing hands with one of the wise men. Merry Christmas, everybody. So Max, our little reindeer boy, gets home with his parents, Tom and Sarah, where his sister Beth and Tom's mother, who we know as Omi, are. Max wants to have, you know, like the warm, fuzzy family holiday. Sarah has to prepare for her sister's family coming over, and Beth has to go be grumpy. Um, and Tom has to go and, you know, drink. I guess, uh, <laughs> to deal with it. So as his family scatter, it's actually Omi who encourages Max to write and post his letter to Santa. He doesn't post it, he kind of pops it in his, in his wee little pocket. I'm talking that he's five, he's like 13. <laughs> Max is like probably 13. Beth, his older by a few years of assuming sister, has a boyfriend called Derek and he lives a few blocks down in their little neighborhood. Um, they're FaceTiming, and he has a Christmas bong. It does nothing for the story, it's just a lot of fun. Alright, so, then Sarah's sister family arrives, and I wrote down just everybody's name, because I was like, there's a lot of people here. So, we've got Sarah's sister, Linda. We've got Linda's husband, Howard. We have their kids. We have Howie Jr., who is silent through the movie. We have Stevie and Jordan, who are tomboys, and we have the baby Chrissy, who they forget in the Hummer. Chef's kiss parenting. They have a surprise guest, Aunt Dorothy, who Sarah is just thrilled to see, really. It's great. Um, oh, and there's Rosie the dog. There's a dog. Can you guess what happened to the dog? Because. I'm mad about it. So right now it is the 23rd of September and it's family dinner time and oh, it is awkward. So Aunt Dorothy criticizes Sarah. Howard talks guns at the table. Stevie and Jordan just rip the absolute shit out of Max for writing a letter to Santa. And that by the time Sarah comes back with like, the dessert, Max is screaming how he, he hates Christmas. He hates his family. He does like a real home alone move storms off to his room. Uh, except what Kevin McAllister didn't have. He has his dad come and check on him while he's crying. Literally, 
Kevin was left alone all night, and he was just ditched in the house at Christmas. No wonder that kid probably grew up to be Jigsaw. Anyway, Tom tells Max that sometimes you just have to put with your asshole family. This is kind of what you have to do, kids. Sorry about it. After he leaves, Max tears up his letter to Santa and throws it out the window, and he brings the thunder and the rumbles, and well done, Max. You gave up on Christmas, buddy. The next morning, um, like overnight, there had just been this giant unexpected blizzard, and now the power's out. Oh no. And there's a surprise snowman outside. Yeah, I'm sure he's friendly. So Linda answers the door to Mr. Delivery Man and also takes in this like massive like Santa sack type parcel, which you don't think that's weird, Linda? Howard? Any of you? No, you're just gonna chalk it up to them having money. Okay. Beth decides to go and check on Derek because she can't reach him because power's out, there's no signal. And Sarah, you know, is like, sure, but you have to be back an hour because it's snowing out there and I want you in this house. So, you know, she leaves. And then Omi is just being like the absolute best and has made hot chocolate in the fireplace to cheer her. Like, she's stoked the fire and she's made hot chocolate in there. I love her. I love her so much. So Beth's out in the snow. It's cold, it's dark, the wind stopped, which, like, it's silent now. Cut your ties and run, Beth. Go home. Of course, she doesn't, because why would she? And a shadow chases her through the snow before she finds the delivery man's truck and he's, like, dead? just frozen I don't know but he's he's out of the game but she hides under the truck and it's such like a nice little horror movie scene you know in typical fashion it works until it doesn't uh, like there's a sudden music box where did that come from and it's playing silent night and we get this really nice little overhead shot where we see the truck shaking while she screams Sorry, Sarah, I don't think she's coming home in an hour. So, you know, time does pass. Uh, Tom and Sarah have this just, like, really sweet moments where they, sh where they they talk about how they miss how they used to be. You know, just showing that even though they're distant, they still love each other. It's a lot of really lovely little character moments and it just really helps like flesh out these characters and make them feel like real people. Tom and Howard decide to go looking for Beth. She's not back. Uh, using Howard's Hummer, they drive about. They don't have a radio, but they have the car, so they're driving. And so they find a snowplow that it's, you know, see better days. The windscreen has been punched in. In. Mm hmm. Back at the house, there's another one of these little sweet moments when Linda realizes Sarah still has their childhood Christmas decorations. And it's this really lovely little moment. But then something up on the roof, like, thumps baby Chrissy cries and Omi just like checks up the fireplace like she looks up the chimney what do you know that we don't Omi other than the title of this movie so Tom and Howard reach Derek's place and it is rough like there is frost everywhere there's a big hole in the wall place just looks ransacked um Howard and his hunting background remember uh that from his gun talk at the table he recognizes hoof prints hoof prints but as Tom says what has hoofs and walks on his hind legs so at this point T 
Tom thinks he hears Beth screaming. I mean, he definitely hears screaming. Like, he does. But, you know, they run outside. Howard is attacked by something under the snow, and it bites him. Uh, whatever is attacking him, Tom shoots it because how, yeah, Howard brought guns to Christmas. But I guess, you know, it's useful, except everyone back at the house hears the gunshots, so well done. But whatever, I mean, it worked because whatever was attacking Howard, you know, leaves after literally being shot. So they go to back to the home to drive back because freezing, but uh, Howard's Howard is on fire something has just destroyed his car back at the house sarah is about to go out and find them you know she's like my daughter's gone my husband's gone my brother-in-law's gone i'm going to find them uh, and that's when they come like staggering in tom's like lock the doors lock the doors howard is bleeding and panicking and tom's just like not here kind of thing you know, you know for the kids keep the kids calm so you know howard tries to like play it off it's nothing it's cool and dorothy and Omi take the kids through to the kitchen so like all like parents can talk about what's happening and they can like look after the kids um aunt dorothy gives howie alcohol it's not relevant to literally anything it just kind of flashed out her character a little bit so since it's too cold to be outside like howard literally near enough has frostbite and they weren't even out that long tom says the best thing is to wait for the weather to calm down before they go and find beth and just I guess hope that she's okay so you know they board up the window so nothing can um get in and everyone kind of bundles up together in the living room to keep warm and get some sleep uh Howard volunteers to take the first watch shift while everyone sleeps and of course he doesn't stay awake like we immediately caught to him being fast asleep because of course that fireplace that you know only she's kept the fire warm kept it lit this whole time she's asleep no one's tending the fire the fire goes out and what comes down the chimney but a chain with like a gingerbread man attached to it i actually first time i was watching these i thought these were plushies but no they're just they're gingerbread men howie wakes up he just kind of goes over to the fireplace he grabs the gingerbread man and he just takes a big old bite out of his head, which, why? It just came down the chimney. It's on a chain. You're gonna eat it? Um, okay. But that's gonna cost you one kidnapping, basically, because, you know, it, the gingerbread man is sentient, because why wouldn't he be? And he screams at him and he wraps him up in the chain and whatever's up at that top of that chimney, he just starts pulling him on up. Uh, of course, this causes a massive commotion, like Sarah is grabbing onto Howie to stop from going up the chimney. Everybody else is grabbing onto Sarah. The shark's not like, the log out of the fire. Now the Christmas tree's on fire. Sarah sees the gingerbread man and she's like, shook. Um, and ultimately, she gets dropped back down, but Howie is dragged away. Yeah, everyone's kind of shook after that, which is pretty understandable. Kid, kid's gone now. And Omi takes the opportunity to tell everybody the story of Krampus and how he came for her when she was a little girl, taking her family but leaving her behind as a reminder of what happens when the Christmas spirit dies. A beautiful animation sequence. I love this sequence so much. It's like you can just cut this out of the movie and it's such like a nice little short. I love it. I do. It's a little jarring because the rest of the movie is live action aside from 
like the CG stuff, like the gingerbread man, but that's fine. That's fine. But, um, Howard isn't playing the game. Which, okay, like, Ferris figure, he watched his son get snatched up up the chimney, and now his, like, brother-in-law's mother is telling him it's a German Christmas demon. Fair, he's like, yeah, no. So he tries to leave, um, but surprise! Whole gang of snowmen now. Sarah's like, nah, 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 nah. She pulls Howard back into the house, she locks the door, and, you know, tensions are high, but, like, it's Christmas Eve now. Yay? Yay, let's celebrate by having Max, Jordan, Stevie talk to Omi about Krampus. Um, for her story, she spoke in English, but now she's back to speaking in German, which she's been doing the whole movie, um, because she's German. Um, yeah. Uh, and Max is translating for the girls until she says something he doesn't understand. And Aunt Dorothy, who doesn't speak German, but just knows how to read the room. She just pipes up, just like, she says we're fucked. And always just like, eh. I, I love these little moments of comedy. It, it keeps it such a nicely balanced tone. Like, it's not too dark, but it's also not silly by trying to be serious, you know? So, okay, so the parents are forming an escape plan, which is basically, they go get the snowplow. Fingers crossed, it still works and they get out. You know, like, hopefully they find Beth, grab her, drag her into the snowplow, time to go. While they're doing this, Stevie and Jordan are upstairs looking for the toilet. I don't remember why they can't just use the downstairs toilet. I think someone stunk it out. I don't remember right now. And then they think they hear Beth up in the attic. So they go up there to, you know, get her down. And uh, then the adults hear them screaming. So they grab their weapons because they now have a table of, of weapons. Like, they're they're prepared. They've gone from what is this to board up the house and grab, gather weapons really quick. I kind of appreciate that brought up. So, whew, a lot happens in this next little sequence. So, <clears throat> there is a clown swallowing Jordan and Tom shoots it. Back down in the kitchen with Howard, there's Gingerbread Man attacking him with a staple gun. There is this like owl thing that attacks Sarah. There's this teddy bear that attacks Linda, and then a robot toy attacks Tom. Howard sets the gingerbread man on fire. Now one burns to death, just kind of crumbles, because it's gingerbread. Uh, one he manages to shoot, and the third one is, is going to get him, until Rosie the dog eats it. I don't know if dogs can eat gingerbread, and I don't know the rules on sentient food, but she seems all right. She seems to just be like licking her lips. You know, thanks for the snack. Back up in the attic, the owl thing hangs Sarah with Christmas lights, and I keep wanting to call Sarah Annie because she's played by Toni Collette, and I've seen Hereditary so many times, and she's hanging in an attic. Again. Toni, are you being typecast, sweetie? Ugh, oh, about to make the Toni Collette appreciation show. Anyway, so the clown bursts through the- I think it's called something like a clown. Um, but he- he bursts through- the clown bursts through the vent. Uh, Linda sees Stevie, and she, like, goes, like, mother rage mode. She stabs the bear. She grabs an axe. She cuts down Sarah. Like, not- oh, Jesus. No, she doesn't, like- she- the- the, uh, the lights. The lights. She- 
the lights um, that's, that are hanging here and you know using like the handle she looks and I, no does she I don't remember but she cuts Sarah down she smacks the robot off of Tom and then just whacks the clown I mean the clown gets away with Jordan but like one out of two save one of the kids oh and then Sarah just shoots the hell out of the robot it's cool it's a great moment and then you know they all go back downstairs they're missing a kid again one out of two not too bad and then they hear something in the walls something that sounds like it's panicking and then Max lets Rosie into the vents to go and get in which gets the dog swallowed god God damn it, Max. Why? Why? Why would you do that? Like, when he was, like, doing it, you opening the vent, I'm like, no, don't put the dog in there. You're gonna get the dog swallowed. And then he did. Clown ate the dog. Like, I know you guys just had an attack and everything, and I'm... I'm personally mad about the dog. But, uh, oops, owl attacks again. Uh, so Aunt Dorothy shoots the bear. Uh, that's going to attack Omi and shoots the and then she shoots the owl. She's just shooting everyone. She's gonna shoot the clown when the elves bust in and stuff at the fire. And these elves like they are jolly little guys in their fun hats or little suits. No, these these are dark and they are mean. And one of them takes Chrissy, uh, the baby, just yoinks that baby. Um, and Dorothy gets got. Uh, the clown is like yeeting itself out the window and Howard like does he grab it? I wasn't too sure if he grabbed it or if he just got caught up with it but he gets he gets pulled away so that's just like three people gone really quick something groans and the elves just leave they're like no time to go Krampus is coming so you know everyone's getting their jackets their hats it's cold outside they've got to bundle up but they have to you know they have to go but Omi won't leave everyone leaves and she locks herself and barricades herself back in that house to face Krampus giving everyone a, just a bit more time to go it's Omi versus Krampus you know it's the first time she's seen him since she was a kid did she see him as a kid actually she didn't see him as a kid did she because she was in her bed so this is the first time she's seen him in her life and he is big and scary like oh ah he, he's just scary looking Mm. Back to the remaining survivors because Omi's not gonna survive that. Sorry, but well, we don't get to see it. Um, but like a little later, Krampus is just like vibing, like he's fine. So I have to assume Omi's not fine. So back to the remaining survivors. So we're down to Tom, Sarah, Linda, Max, and Stevie. Uh, they're racing to the snowplow. They're hoping all they have that it's going to work something is attacking them so Tom stays behind with the gun trying to buy the other some time and you know he runs out of ammo because he probably should have done that a long time ago but that's okay because it's a movie down to four they reach the snowplow and you know like Sarah like lifts Max in and then Linda starts getting pulled under and <sighs> Sarah has like fries Stevie off of her to put her in the snowplow with Max and it's really sad. Uh, but then Sarah's taken, so like literally both of those kids just lose their mother like that. Um, so you know, it's these two kids, parentless, siblingless, 
in a snowplow that won't start because after all of that all of that it was for nothing the snowplow won't start um the elves show up and they drag stevie away krampus gives max the bell with like the engravings like the, the krampus bell that he gave to omi um all those years ago wrapped in the shreds of the letter that started all of this max is going to be left as the reminder of what happens when the Christmas spirit dies. Stevie is still yelling for help. Max goes to where Krampus and the helper is like loading up the sleigh and he's like, you know what? No, no. Take your bell. Take your shitty bell. Give me back my family. He's like, throws it at Krampus. He's like, no. So, you know, Krampus um, opens a portal to hell because of course he does. Um, and they're just gonna throw Stevie in. They're gonna eat that girl in there. And then this is the part I just got quite sad, really, cause like, in, like Max is like begging Krampus, like give me back my family. I'm sorry, I just wanted Christmas to be like it used to be. So please give everyone back Mr. Krampus and take me instead and just like, the, just let the others be okay. And he's like begging with everything he has, but nah, nah. Krampus is mean, and he's just gonna toss Stevie in anyway, and then he's gonna boot Max in, like just throw him in. But then, Max wakes up, and it's Christmas Day, and you know, everyone's there opening presents, so like, it's okay now. Right? <laughs> no. No, it's not. Um, God. Omi, <laughs> Omi hands Max a present. And inside is the Krampus bell, and everyone just looks really uncomfortable as there's this like sound bites from you know over the movie, and they maybe remember what happened, and it's revealed they're in a snow globe in Krampus's collection. Are they just eternally reliving Christmas now? Did they wish it could be Christmas every day? Who knows? That's where the movie ends, and. You know, like we see like the literal thousands of snow globes Krampus has, and it ends. That's the movie. <laughs> Alrighty, so aside from being a fun movie, you know, what could it all mean? So, um, the more obvious theme of the ones I'm going to kind of touch on is the class divide between the two families. It's sort of mentioned and just kind of dripped in throughout the movie um so with tom sarah and their kids you know they've got a big house upstairs downstairs bathrooms nice little cul-de-sac neighborhood um to the point like howard and linda don't think twice about again that giant sack on their doorstep and they're just like um well they have money like they're very upper middle class white suburbia um which you know i'm not saying that's a bad thing that's gotta be real nice for omi you know, like, it showed on her flashback, she was a child of recession. They had nothing. Gotta be kind of nice for her, at least. Um, meanwhile, uh, Howard, Linda, and their kids, they're more working class southern states. Like, your stereotype of, you know, people living down in, like, Texas or whatever. They have their guns. They go out hunting. I mean, they give Sarah a taxidermy animal for Christmas, complete with where Howard had to like stitch the leg back on. I'm not saying that's inherently a bad thing, 
personally taxidermy makes me uncomfortable but you know i'm not about to tell people what to do with their lives um when they go to find beth you know tom's surprised that howard brought guns to christmas because you know tom suburbia doesn't need guns howard you know probably lives near like wild animals but in howard's situation it is maybe a bit more beneficial uh and if it wasn't for Krampus attacking, the film would probably focus a lot more on these differences between these two families and how to resolve them over Christmas. Like this could be a, this could be a Hallmark movie if it wasn't a horror movie. So I just kinda wanted to set that out because that does kind of feed in to this next one here, uh, which is the underlying theme about gender identity, particularly around Stevie and Jordan. This isn't delved into too deeply since again Christmas demon. But when they read Max's letter to Santa at the dinner table, he wrote that he wants Howard to stop wishing his girls were boys. They get really defensive about it. You know, they're like, screw you, dad didn't want us to be boys. But I'm not sure if they're the firstborn. Like, they seem to be kind of, you know, clumped together. You know what I mean? Like, there's them, there's Howie, and there's Chrissy. So like it could just them being closest sisters, maybe they're close in age together, but I also think they might be twins. Um, because it's always, you know, Howie, Chrissy, Stevie and Jordan. They're never really apart until Jordan is after after Jordan is taken and it's just Stevie. And if they were the firstborn, it does kind of explain why they were raised to be more masculine if Howard wanted to have sons. Like, starting with their names, right? Stevie and Jordan. Like, they're both androgynous names, but they're also a little more masculine-leaning, especially Stevie, because, you know, Steve. They dress more masculine than Beth, who is maybe a couple years older than them. I don't know. I sort of put, like, Max at about 13. Stevie and Jordan at, like, 13. Uh, no, no, sorry. They're, like, 15. Stevie and Jordan are, like, 15. And Beth is probably, like, 16, 17. I don't know. They're all teenagers. Um, but like, you know, they've got like the baggy jeans, the t-shirts, like the baseball cap. You know, they're, they're dressed more in typical movie teenage boy than typical movie teenage girl. I mean, realistically, they're dressed typical movie tomboy, but that's another discussion. For, that's like, that's a whole other thing. Um, and they have more masculine traits, you know, with Howard coaching them on their fighting techniques. For example, um, at the end, when it's Christmas Day, Jordan, as a gift, she gets like knuckle dusters, and she's over the middle. Like, she's putting them on. She's like, "Yeah." Uh, there's a scene early on when Beth says, "Um, she doesn't want to share her bed with girls who pee standing up." It's played for laughs, since uh, she also blames the two girls for pooping in her bed. Though Sarah is adamant that was the dog. Oh, it's a joke that is just uncomfortably transphobic and it's just icky. I don't like it. Since, I mean, obviously there are girls who pee standing up. And having Beth being judgmental on that, even if their toilet habits are a result of being raised, being masculine by their dad, whatever. It's belittling to trans women. Like, it's, it's essentially... A microaggression that Beth doesn't see as a problem and realistically neither does Sarah you know she doesn't really berate Beth for that she's telling Beth to put up with it not hey you shouldn't say that you know like they can't see past their own privilege 
as presumably straight cis women and they can't see how their views could hurt an entire community of people and again you know they're also the set that's from money like that's a whole other privilege they have as well where just ah uh, ah uh. Sarah though takes it a step further seeing they unsure if that's mean the girls specifically or like that side of the family generally but they are the reason that people should have to take a test before being allowed to breed oh no 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 Sarah no like the moment the whole moment is over so quickly it's like a flash they're just like horribly transphobic and they're like oh they're here hi like excuse me excuse me it oh oh no it just reminds me of the struggle of trans people to gain you know equal reproductive rights whether it be trans people biologically having their own children or getting access to abortion or even something as simple as adoption it's a viewpoint that it's colored by their class and their privilege and you know just because they've never had to face that struggle they dismiss it as a joke to be made about their family members whether they're doing it with malice or not you know like throughout the film is obvious they don't get on but like there's a point guys there's a line you know i am mad about it <laughs> like the film is so good it didn't need that it, it just doesn't need to be unnecess unnecessarily transphobic. It's a good film. It doesn't need that. And I don't like- and it doesn't need to kill the dog. I don't care what you say. It doesn't need it. Screw Krampus. Big bastard. <laughs> um, but the last- I'm real close to the mic, damn. The last underlying theme I'm gonna touch on is uh, the destructiveness of mental illness. Short, maybe I'm reaching. It's Krampus. It's a fun Christmas horror movie. Um, I probably am. I overthink literally every piece of media I consume. That is the point of my show. But just give me a second. Let me lay out my thinking. Krampus is not only a Christmas demon, but he's Max's demon as well. Like He only comes after Max effectively summons him. Uh, he destroys the familial relationships around Max um, and you know Max wants to mend those relationships like in his letter to Santa we see that mental illness impacts your behavior and it can make you act in ways that you maybe don't want to but you are because of your illness you know we see that Max has some sort of anger or impulsivity issues like he 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 fights the wise man in the beginning. He's ready to fight Stevie. It's shown he has a well, he was ready to fight Stevie and Jordan. Sorry, it's shown he has a history. He fights the wise man in the beginning. He's ready to fight Stevie and Jordan for making fun of his letter. There's a throwaway line that you know one of the other families in the neighborhood hate them because of like an incident with Max. Like he has a history of this. You know this is isn't his first go about. He has a history of um and he you know, he's already upset leading up to the the family dinner. He isn't getting the support from his family that he wants. You know, they're all doing his own thing and being problematic when he just wants to watch Charlie Brown as a family. You know, like he just got in that fight with the wise man. He's being berated for it. Omi is the only one who's supporting him. 
Which could also be because she's the only one who has been through what he's going through since, you know, where was I? Oh, me. In his letter to Santa, he's thankful for her. He's grateful to have her in his life. But, uh, oh, shit. My mic. But after the dinner, it's just all downhill from there. Um, Tom tries his best, but he, it's not enough. Max rips up his letter. He turns his back on the last of his hope. This is what brings out Krampus, uh, representing that anger that Max has been he's been holding in and it's, it's coming out like like a dam break and then one by one his family are taken away from him you know his sister his cousins even his parents until he's alone he's left with nothing but the Krampus bell his confrontation of Krampus you know it could be his attempt at recovery you know trying to fix those relationships confronting the problem and saying you know I don't want this to destroy my life. And when it doesn't work, he begs Krampus to take him instead. To let everyone go about their life as normal. Just let him bear the worst of it. Like, this to me is the behavioral aspect coming into it. Max just wants everything to go back to normal, but Krampus won't let him. So he tries to take that into himself. Tries to take on self-destructive tendencies rather than hurting the people around him then it not only takes Stevie anyway, it takes Max as well, tossing him into the depths of hell. In the literal sense of the film, Krampus chucked him into hell. In the metaphorical sense, it's hell of his own making. No, it's not. It's a... <laughs> In the metaphorical sense, it's a personal hell. You know, that of mental illness. And it's sad. He's like 13. But in this context... The ending kind of has a couple of different meanings to me. So the first one, which is considerably less optimistic than the other, is that Max was driven to suicide by Krampus, his mental illness. And in death, he has finally reached his ideal Christmas. But it's not real. It's something that, you know, still being presided over by Krampus and it's held in place by the power of Krampus and the power of Max's last moments and the strength of his wish to just have a normal Christmas with his family. You know, the, the reveal of their Christmas being held in a snow globe is showing that Max is forever going to be here. You know, he's not going to be free. He's, he can't recover anymore. He has taken that option away slightly more optimistic one is that Max did actually enter recovery rebuilding his relationships with his family and the being tossed into hell is the whole you know it gets worse before it gets better rhetoric you know he sort of confronted his problems his problems have kicked back at him but he has come out the other side the snow globe and the echoes of what happened it shows the fear of Krampus hanging over him, the fear of his mental illness kind of taking control of his behavior like that again and causing him to destroy those relationships, maybe beyond repair, you know? As patient as some people are, there's only so much, so far you can push a person. But with this view, there's, there is hope of support since it's Omi that hands him the Krampus bell. Now this could 
you know, the less optimistic view is that this is reminding him that it's always going to be over him. Or, a little more optimistic, reminding him that she knows exactly what he's going through and that she's there for him. It's maybe a bit of a stretch, but that's what I do. And that's Crab Piss. Um, it's a film that I hadn't seen till fairly recently, uh, even though it came out five years ago. It's wild, five years ago. 2015, remember that? What a time. Uh, it's a lot of fun, aside from the problematic notes. Uh, it does have, like, it does have a good tonal balance between, like, the humor, the horror, and the, like, sadder moments, and, like, sadder undertones. Um, I just, uh, the, tr the transphobic stuff is just, it's such a sticking point for me. I just don't like it. It's not necessary. You know, it's not, it's not perpetuating anything good. <laughs> but let me know, oh, jiggling my mic, but let me know what you think um, in the comments. Leave a like if you liked this video, if you enjoyed it, and subscribe for more. Um, tell me, you know, what did you think of Krampus? Do you think there's anything that I missed? Anything I maybe should have thought about more? Tell me what did you think of Krampus? You know, did did you enjoy the movie? Um, did you pick up on anything I maybe missed? Let me know. Stay safe out there and try not to incur the wrath of Christmas demons. And until next time, this has been Dead Feminist. <laughs>